0: Hi, my name is Kaylin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Tea Time Thoughts. Do you ever wish you could learn more about history, books, music, art, and culture, but you just don't know where to start? I totally feel your pain. Learning about all these things can be so overwhelming. Well, I want to change all of that for you. In my podcast, Tea Time Thoughts, I'll show you just how fun it all can be. In the time it takes to have a cup of tea, I'm going to teach you everything from the French Revolution to the Black Plague, Mozart to Broadway musicals, Da Vinci to Robert Frost, Ancient Egypt to Queen Elizabeth II, and more. You can stream Tea Time Thoughts wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So what are you waiting for? Put the kettle on and listen to Tea Time Thoughts today. The Cold War was a bonkers time for everybody, Um, always paranoid that the Russians we're going to nuke us and everything would be destroyed and we'd all die. And, you know, maybe there was some validity to those fears. But honestly, I think Americans should have been more scared of their own government getting a little trigger happy and accidentally nuking itself because that almost happened twice. Uh, and we're going to look at two those two incidents uh, today on our weird world. Our weird world. Welcome to our weird world. I'm your host John Henson, and this week, looking at two instances where America dropped bombs on itself, and uh, luckily somehow miraculously nothing really happened um something happened but like not like the worst case scenario obviously because everything's still around and and still intact um ironically both of our stories today uh take place in the Carolinas um you know so like if there was ever a conspiracy that you know the the south needed to be nuked um this might point to that a little bit um i mean overall the south is pretty great there are some places that could Use a little refurbishing, for lack of a better term. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of military bases uh, located in the South uh, and just a lot going on down here. And because of the Cold War, uh, a lot more was going on. But we're going to look, like I said, uh, two instances Uh, the first one in Mars Bluff, South Carolina, and the second one in my hometown of goldsboro north carolina so uh like i said uh kind of in the teaser last week if you are very wary of the government this episode is not going to do anything to help you with that so uh and we'll we'll address some of those some of those thoughts uh towards the end today but let's jump into story time On March 11th, 1958, the U.S. Air Force Boeing B-47ELM Stratajet took off from Hunter Air Force Base in Savannah, Georgia, on its way to its destination in the United Kingdom, for whatever reason. Uh, From there, it was going to refuel and then head on to uh, North Africa as part of Operation Snowflurry, uh, which was a study in which pilots made mock bomb drops to test the accuracy of the military's trajectory calculations. Um, So ironic. (laughs) That that's what this plane uh, was going to go do, um, as was tradition at the time. Uh, practically every capable military plane that went into the air during the 1950s and 60s carried nuclear bombs on board just in case Russia at that moment decided to start World War three. And so now you have your context. You know what's about to happen. Um, As the plane flew over the tiny town of Mars Bluff, South Carolina, which is 200 miles away from Savannah, uh, Captain Earl Kohler noticed the flashing light in the cockpit indicating that the harness locking pin holding a Mark VI nuclear bomb was not engaged as it should. Uh, He sent Captain Bruce Kolka to investigate, and when Kolka got to the bomb bay, he accidentally grabbed the emergency release pin on the bomb. Like how do you accidentally grab how do you accidentally grab that because usually emergency pins are real obvious like it's bigger than the other pins it's probably red probably says emergency do not touch unless there's an emergency and coke is just like ah, oh, yeah there it is gonna grab that oh what's gonna happen now um well here's Here's what happened. Uh, The bomb, which weighed roughly 8,000 pounds and was five times more powerful than the atomic bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki, uh, just plopped from its holding bay or whatever and dropped onto the bomb bay doors, which then forced them open and leaving the two men on the airplane watching in horror as the nuclear bomb fell from the plane and down towards South Carolina. Um, while all of this was going on, Walter Gregg and his two daughters, Helen and Frances, were outside just kind of enjoying the cool spring day, uh, near the playhouse that Walter had just built for them. Uh, you know, it's this sandy part of South Carolina. So, you know, there's a little bit of grass here and there, but it's sandy soil, lots of pine trees around. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere and by out of nowhere, I mean the sky. Uh, The bomb landed directly on top of the playhouse and the standard explosives on the bomb detonated on impact, leaving a crater three or a 75, uh, 70 feet wide and 35 feet deep. All right. So, so kind of how these bombs worked is they had their regular sort of bombiness, you know, they had their little uh, detonators and all of that. And then they had the nuclear core inside it. And basically once the, the idea was that in, in most cases, once the safety mechanisms let go, the bomb would hit and detonate. And then that detonation, I think if I understand how to make bombs correctly, which I have no idea how to make bombs. So like, don't put me on a list or come talk to me because I don't know how to make bombs. I'm just assuming based on my very limited knowledge of science, Um, That explosion would then trigger the nuclear core, which would then trigger the bigger explosion, something like that. I'm probably way wrong on that. Don't quote me on that by any means. Um, Luckily, though, for everybody involved, uh, the bomb's nuclear core had been taken out of the uh, bomb and stored in another part of the plane. Um, That still did not... (laughs) That still didn't matter to the Greg family, who had just gotten their backyard completely bombed. I mean, there's a 70-foot crater almost four stories deep in their backyard now. Um, and that explosion injured pretty much every member of the Gregg family, along with most of the homes in the trailer park where the bomb landed. Um, the The bomb site is still there. In Mars Bluff, it's not, it's been mostly filled in at this point. Um, the trailer park has been leveled and, and abandoned for the most part. There, I think there's still a couple of trailers there. Um, I don't think you can get to it. But um, you can at least get close to it, relatively close to it. Um, the Gregs actually sued the Air Force and received fifty four thousand dollars in damages. Which, I mean, in, like in South Carolina money, that's like winning the full lottery. Uh, anywhere else, like, there's no way that's close to enough, uh, like reparations for, like you bombed. Like, if the Air Force dropped a bomb in my backyard, like for one, I have a small backyard, but. Uh, like I'm not stopping at $54,000, all right. I'm probably getting a new house out of it for sure. Um, preferably one that is away from standard commercial and military flight paths. Um, and also just, just a nicer house, like the nicest house that our military budget can buy. All right, Cause like, I don't know if you guys know this or not. Uh, America's military, most funded military in the world by a lot. All right, like I think if I remember looking at the numbers correctly, we could cut our military budget in half and still be the most funded military in the world. All right, so come on, like you got you drop a bomb on me, you've got enough money to to pay for a nice house for me. So, um, but yeah, so that was the Mars Bluff incident uh in south carolina uh now to the more serious one and i'd say this not because it happened in my hometown but because it legitimately almost went way bad um in the pre-dawn hours of january 24th 1961 um right in the middle of the cold war all right and Look, I, I know I know you grew up in school thinking that like the Cold War was just like basically these two countries giving each other the cold shore. It was a cute name for a war, really. Um, but honestly, uh, the real reason that it was called the Cold War was because uh, scientists all over the world had claimed that the Earth's temperature was dropping. We were actually in... Uh, a global cooling phase and we were heading towards another ice age. And so the United States and Russia actually took it upon themselves to warm the atmosphere back up by quote unquote testing uh, as many nuclear bombs as they could with the hope that the resulting fireballs from these nuclear explosions would warm the atmosphere up enough to save the planet, leaving future generations to worry about, you know what to do when it got too hot. Um, I don't know if that's true. It's probably not true, but eh. Whatever. It's like a fun little alternative history. I mean, it's, you know, I, it works. Um, but like I mentioned uh, in the previous story, you know, during colder, it was common for bombers to fly around with nuclear weapons just in the event that any anything hit the fan. All right. So. In some instances, like the Morris Bluff incident, where the the nuclear core of the bomb had been taken out and stored in the in another part of the plane, sometimes these bombs still had their nuclear cores intact and just ready to be dropped. And so, one night, uh, several miles above eastern North Carolina, a B fifty two G bomber based at Goldsboro's Seymour Johnson Air Force Base, which guys, I that's got to be like the most unfortunately named air force base it's just like i'm a child at heart and every time i see (laughs) seymour johnson (laughs) like i giggle inside you know it's it's that whole it's along those lines of like um i remember like one of the first jokes that someone ever told me was like it was so stupid it was like have you ever read the book yellow river by ip freely like it's it's along that line of just stupid baseless humor and I just, I, it's funny that his that they named the base Seymour Johnson. It's, I don't know. Anyway, um, so this B-52G bomber takes off from Seymour Johnson, and, and they're flying, basically just flying around and, and just staying airborne just in case, you know, places started getting nuked. Those bombers could then fly off and, and go nuke back. Um. But as was common during these missions, the B-52G needed refueling uh, mid-flight. And so uh, during the refueling operation, a a problem came up. Um, The B-52 crew was notified that they had a fuel leak in the right wing and needed to abort the entire operation. Uh, Ground control told the crew to just kind of fly off the coast for a bit to just burn off most of the fuel. I mean, because, look, this was the 1960s. America didn't really care about conserving anything back then. Uh, but you know, once they had burned off enough fuel, they could return to base and and get the problem fixed. Well, as the bomber flew out towards the ocean and to give you, you know, if you're not familiar with the area, so Goldsboro is actually probably, ugh, I would say like a hundred miles from the coast, um, parts of the coast. And so, you know, for a plane, that's not a, a super far distance. And so, um, As the bomber flew towards the ocean, the pilot actually realized he had lost 37,000 pounds of fuel, which I don't know if you guys realize this or not. That's a lot. That's a lot of gas. Uh, Even worse, um, all of that happened in three minutes. So that's a big leak. He lost 37,000 pounds of fuel in three minutes. Um, And rather than using common sense and just landing in a nearby airstrip, because, again, there's a ton of airports. Uh, There were a lot of military bases. In that area at the time, like they were right there at Cherry Point, uh, Camp Lejeune, I, I believe also has a runway, uh, very close by as well. They could have landed there. <laughs> nah, dog. Now nah, we got to go back to, we got to go back to Seymour. Go back and Seymour Johnson. Uh, anyway, um, so the bomber was directed to uh, go back to Goldsboro. And because the B-52s were designed to hold fuel in their wings, this quick loss of fuel caused an extreme fluctuation in the plane's weight and made it difficult for the pilot to fly as they descended towards the runway. Uh, It became so much of an issue that the pilot actually began losing control and they were really going to crash. They were about to crash. So, following the first rule of saving a vessel in distress, the six other crew members on board the plane began chucking every bit of loose cargo they had uh, which included two Mark 39 hydrogen bombs, all right? N- you know, you have the atomic bombs. Those were cute, all right? Compared to the hydrogen bombs, which were crazy powerful. Um, that, you know, them kind of uh, dumping all the cargo didn't work, and suddenly the right wing of the plane broke off like the entire wing of this gigantic plane. I don't know if you've ever seen a B-52 bomber, big plane. All right. Whole wing gone. Uh, and to make matters worse, the plane then caught on fire. Uh, so when the first rule of saving a vessel in distress didn't work out, the obvious option would be to, uh, resort to the first rule of then being a crew member on a duress, uh, distress vessel, which is you're supposed to just go down with the ship, man. But instead, the pilot and four other crew members decided that definitely wasn't going to be an option, and they ejected. Uh, The bomber, the plane, eventually crashed in the community of Pharaoh, which is about 12 miles from Seymour Johnson. Uh, It's like six miles away from Goldsboro proper uh four of the crew members safely ejected and parachuted to safety uh two men did die in the crash because they either didn't eject in time or they just they didn't get the memo that that's what they were doing uh another crew member died uh during the ejection part but uh that's i mean look sad that people died Um uh, plane did crash all right. But that's not really why we're telling this story. All right. So remember those two hydrogen bombs that I mentioned, uh, as the plane broke apart and plummeted to the ground, the two bombs, obviously, like I mentioned, were tossed out of the plane and they began the process of arming themselves for detonation as bombs do. Um, each bomb had six mechanisms that followed several like disarming steps, uh, that included like charging, firing capacitors, deploying retard parachutes. I think. it's what it's called. They're called, I think it's called retard parachutes. I just, I, my Southernness, I say retard and like, I get it. Like you're not supposed to call someone retarded and I'm not, that's, it's what they're called. Like the word retard. I don't know why I'm defending myself for a word that I'm clearly using in the correct contents. I hate, I hate white people so much. I hate woke white people. (sighs) Liberals, man. Am I right? Um, Anyway, uh, the first bomb was found intact after its parachute was caught in a tree. The other bomb, however, its parachute did not deploy, and it collided with the ground at 700 miles per hour and broke apart in the swampy soil where the Secret Service showed up within hours. I mean, it's crazy like how on top of it the, the government was, uh, and they began trying to dig it out. Uh, The tail of the bomb was recovered about 20 feet below the surface. Uh, The bomb's main switch, which was found on arm, like ready to blow up, uh, was found a little further down but had become dislodged from the bomb's nuclear components. Uh, The government was forced to actually abandon recovery of the rest of that bomb because groundwater just continued to flood the hole that they were digging. Uh, And I mean, like where this landed, there's a lot of like low lying swampy areas around. And so there's just a pretty high water table there. Crazy Um, on each bomb. This is what's insane about this story. On each bomb, five of the six arming mechanisms were set to go when they were found, meaning that only one switch remained before each of those bombs exploded. So right now, right. They were, they fully recovered one bomb. They were not able to recover, but like a couple of pieces from the second bomb. And so right now, today there is an undetonated nuclear bomb, roughly 200 feet below the surface, uh, near Goldsboro, North Carolina. Um, and look, and, and like, I, here's, some more context because I cannot stress how insane this was. Each one of those Mark 39 hydrogen bombs was 250 times more powerful than the bomb dropped on Hiroshima. Um, which means like we could have dropped two more atomic, bombs. like we could have dropped three, uh, three atomic bombs on Hiroshima. And I think this would have still been worse. All right, because we like two, we dropped two of these hydrogen bombs. So, like, honestly, like it's if two hydrogen bombs detonate, that's five hundred times more powerful. So, you could drop like five or six atomic bombs on Hiroshima, still would not be as bad as if both of these bombs had gone off. Um, munitions experts who have studied this um, say that if these bombs had detonated, one hundred percent of everything in a seventeen-mile radius would have been completely annihilated, just absolutely vaporized. Um, And that doesn't include everything else farther out that would have been affected by shockwaves, fallout, the leftover explosion, all of that. Um, But it didn't happen, barely. But there is still uh, a nuclear bomb underground in Goldsboro, North Carolina. (laughs) Crazy, right? Like, I, this was... This Goldsboro story in particular was the first story that I ever came across that like fit in this like weird, forgotten, lesser-known history sort of thing. And that's this is this is the story that I really credit to getting me into just continuing to research and continuing to learn and continuing to like find things. Shut up, Siri! No one asked you. I'm so sorry about that. Siri's just—I hate her terrible um where was i god i'm leaving all of this and i don't care but yeah i mean like i i learned about this story in high school and i've been out there to the spot where the bomb dropped like you would literally never know that anything ever happened there and i mean why would you i mean this is something that happened like 50 years ago or more um but yeah i mean the secret service uh the government still goes out to that spot uh, on a regular basis to test the groundwater to make sure that the nuclear core of that bomb is not leaking radioactive material into the groundwater. Um, just a, just an absolutely crazy, crazy story. So um, without further ado, though, let's uh, see what we learned from all this. <laughs> ¶¶ What did we learn? Number one, the government just straight up bombed South Carolina. And look, I don't think anybody's complaining about that. They need they need a reset, I think. You know, look, Charleston's nice, and that's about it. All right, Greenville's a pretty cool city. The rest of it, like, they need a reset, all right? You can rebuild Charleston and, and Greenville. That's fine. But, I mean, look, Myrtle Beach, you're telling me Myrtle Beach doesn't need to be bombed off this planet right now? Get out of here. terrible um (laughs) number two there is uh, a nuclear bomb under the ground uh in my hometown of goldsboro north carolina still there today uh if you wanted to start a huge expedition to go dig it out you probably might be able to i don't know the government might stop you which what would what's that all about uh crazy but no whatever um number three uh kind of some new information um these are not the only two instances where um Nuclear bombs have been dropped on America by Americans. Uh, These incidents happen quite a bit. There's a couple out west I know of. Uh, I think there's another nuclear bomb just off the coast of Tybee Island in Georgia. Um, And all of these incidences are called Broken Arrows. And so you can do some little research learning more about that. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to include these two stories because they're two of the more well-documented stories of these broken arrows, but yeah, definitely not the only two times that like, what is going on in this country where that's the, Oh God. Anyway, let's get out of here. One last thought uh, before we wrap up here. I like, I get how, people can have a, a, a general distrust for the government. And and it's fine, I think. Like, I get it if your distrust for the government comes from a place where you don't think they have your best interest in mind because they don't. Like, politicians don't. They, they have the best interest of whoever's lobbying them the most. All right? We can get behind that. I, like, the... The fact, though, that people think that there's just these deep, deep deep-seated conspiracies flying around that just, you know, the powers that be really aren't the powers that be. There's this whole underground cabal of, you know, Illuminati and all that. And it's just like, no, dude. No. Everyone in the government is, like, started out like you and me. They were just regular people. And then this was the path they chose. They are just as stupid as the rest of us. And like stuff like this is what makes me feel good about thinking about thinking that, you know, like this because how can you be so just careless that you're not only like just with all of the safety regulations that we have today, it's insane to think that there could be a thousand military jets in the sky right now that have active nuclear bombs. Like, I don't think that's the case because of incidents like this, but that was just the reality in the sixties. And people were more scared of the Russians doing something than they were of their own military. And that's just, I don't know. That shouldn't be the case. Um, like our government, America, one of the most powerful countries in the world, full of really stupid people. Right. But I think that's every government everywhere. Like, just because you work for the government or just because you're a politician or you get like some advanced security clearance and you're in this world doesn't mean that you're just a better person. Like, you're still pretty dumb. It's, you know, especially like you may have like incredible concentrated genius in one thing, you're an idiot in a hundred other things. All right. And, and that's just how that's how life works, man. I mean, there's too much going on. Like you just can't be an expert in every single thing. Like you're going to be good at a few things. Trash in everything else. So, you know, look, you're more than welcome to distrust your government. That's fine. I encourage you to ask questions. Ask smart questions, though. All right. Don't. Don't don't get into the whole. Yeah, the government's part of uh, this pedophile ring in the basement of his pizza shop. Uh it's totally legit. I hundred percent believe it because I saw it on a forum. Um, and this and he's had a lot of good. He cited uh, a source uh, from uh, government truth dot truth and. You don't get that dot truth domain unless you are deep in some stuff. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know where I'm going with that. Um, Let's uh, think about what's going on next week on Our Weird World. Uh, a couple of different stories, um, just no real relation, just two super awful people from history. and We're going to look at the stories of Mary Toft, um, who was just a terrible woman, Um. Who tried to trick everybody, and a lot of people actually went along with it. It's a really dumb story, you guys. Uh, and then we're also going to look at the story of serial killer Patrick Kearney, who was real bad. Um, one of the one of the worst people uh, that will be featured on this show. Uh, but that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you all for listening. Keep telling all your friends, and keep it. Weird.